Um, we're just going to jump right into this tonight. This is the last uh, sermon in our series, Small Book, Big Ideas, a study through the book of 1 John. I hope you've enjoyed this. I hope it's been helpful for you. And uh, we got one verse left to look at. So if you've got your Bibles, 1 John chapter 5 and verse 21. Now this ends on what I will call a strong note, okay? Uh, I'll read the verse to you. It says, little children, a term of endearment, okay? Little children, keep yourselves from idols. Keep yourself from idols. You see, this seems to be an interesting way to end this letter because typically letters written in the Bible are usually ended with some encouragement or like, you know, Paul, whoever's writing is saying, I'm going to come to you soon and I, I, I can't wait to see you. And there's an encouraging note. And this one kind of ends with a term of endearment, little children or dear children, keep yourself from idols. And so as I was studying this over the last couple of weeks, some scholars were starting to suggest different things. Um, there's a couple who kind of thought, are we missing something here? Like, uh, did part of the manuscript go missing? Uh, like, you know, it just seems like such a sudden end to this book. But in some ways, as I've been studying this, especially this past week a lot, I'm beginning to see that I think this is very purposeful by John to end on this note. Because everything he's talked about who we are in Jesus Christ, um, how we show the world that we are Christians and Christ followers, um, different things like just knowing what Jesus has done for us, not falling into the trap of following the ways of the world, but following the ways of Jesus. It really can be summed up, I think, like this. Keep yourself from idols. And so let me try to illustrate this for you just a little bit. Um, when I was in high school in the 90s, I lived up in Thompson, Manitoba. Anybody know where that is? Okay, we got, we got, we got, awesome. We got, we got a McDonald's, okay? So that was like the big deal for that city, okay? And how many of you remember in the 90s, they used to have dollar cheeseburger days? Anyone? There you go. Now, some of you see that picture and you're like, that looks great. Others of you are like, oh my goodness, take that off the screen, right? And uh, we all have different reactions to this. And I remember being in Thompson in grade 12, and Dollar Cheeseburger Day was going on. And up there, we get kind of bored. And me and my friends were looking for something to do one night. And a couple of my friends decided it's Dollar Cheeseburger Night at McDonald's. Why don't we have a cheeseburger eating competition, right? Why don't we see how many burgers we can eat? And so I'm not going to go through all the details with you, but somewhere around 20 to 25 cheeseburgers, I can't remember where we ended up, and this was only two people doing this, right? But they got somewhere, I think it was like 22 or something like that. We ran out of money, okay? And they, and they had to quit eating these things. And... Uh, but, but, but we didn't go out like we normally do. Normally in Thompson in the summer, like we stay out to like one, two, three in the morning. At least when I was, you know, growing up there as like a teenager. I remember that we didn't go out that night, but these two gentlemen had to go home, okay? And uh, they suddenly were feeling different, they said, okay? And so they went home, and let's just say they slept it off, okay? I'm just going to leave it at that. You could, you know, just don't use your imagination, okay? But... Um, they were not feeling good after this cheeseburger eating competition, and they went home. How many of you sometimes get fast food on a whim? Anyone? Like, you're just busy, right? And so you go through a drive-thru, you eat it, or sometimes we crave it, right? Sometimes I think we crave it sometimes. But often I find myself, those cravings or those whims often end with me saying, why did I do this? Anyone? Why did I eat that? Why did I go there, right? What was perhaps tasty 
And while eating it was all of a sudden, gosh, I don't feel so good. And I feel tired now. And I'm not feeling the greatest. You see, our, our taste buds are not always the most reliable guides to what's healthy and what's not healthy. And if you want to have a meal that you feel good about after, you can't let your appetite have free reign. Can I just say that? And so why am I talking about fast food here? Why did I bring this up? Well, here's why. Because I think what is true with the physical body is also often true with our souls. Okay? What is true with the physical body is, often, is also often true with our souls. These cravings that we have in our souls that we can't just go giving free reign to, there are desires and appetites that if we consume too much of them, they also can leave us not feeling good. They also can have us feeling a little sick. And I'll try to draw this out a little bit more for you as we go. But the truth is, is that we are all born hungry. We're born needy. And at the core of our being as people is a desperate need for this sense of significance and this sense that we are truly loved. And we long for this. And we look for this. And we look for this in all sorts of places. You see, there's this dimension of the soul that says there's something more. There's something within each one of us that recognizes this can't be it. There's got to be more. And that dimension of the soul is something that only God can meet. That only God can satisfy. Augustine, in his book Confessions, says this. He says, Thou hast made for us made us for thyself, O Lord. And our heart is restless until it finds its rest in thee. Until it finds its rest in thee. You see, I relate so much with what he's talking about there. Each one of us, I think, whether we are aware of it or not, we have this inner restlessness, this inner unfulfillment, and really where that should lead us is back to our creator and back to God. We have like this hole in our soul that needs him, and there's like this honing device kind of within us that longs for God, whether we actually know it or not. And we're spiritually healthy to the degree that we've been led back to the source of our life. And that is God, our creator. We are healthy to the degree that we're letting God meet the deepest needs of our hearts, where we're allowing the cravings that we have for different things to be met in the one who can actually meet them, and that's God. We're spiritually healthy to the degree that our innermost need for meaning, significance, and love is found in our relationship with God through Jesus Christ. Amen? And we come to know and find fulfillment in that. Now, here's the unfortunate part, okay? Unfortunately, we're born broken and we're born into a broken world. A world that is ruled, as scripture says, by the cosmic deceiver. By The scripture calls it the God of this age. Okay? And so our honing device, which is supposed to lead us back to our creator, it actually gets disoriented or, or reoriented or misdirected. And we start to look, instead of pointing us to the creator, it points us to lesser things and we start hungering for that. And instead of finding our hope and fulfillment in God, we start to think, well, I know if I had this thing, I know if I had that thing, if I just had that, I'd be more fulfilled. If I just had that relationship, I'd be satisfied. If I just had that title or that position, 
I'd be fulfilled. If only I had that vehicle, if only I owned a Sea-Doo, like come on, it's summer, okay? And we start to think things like this, okay? If only I had a higher role at work, if only I was a boss and people, you know, got to listen to me. If only I just had more cash, and the list goes on, and this doesn't even have to be glamorous things. This could be like, you could throw a skateboard in this list, you could throw a guitar in this list, whatever, right? You could fill in the blank with whatever you desire a little too much because you think to yourself, if I were to get these things, then I would be satisfied. But the problem with that kind of thinking and living is that it never works. It never actually works. You see, we hunger and thirst for those things. We chase after them, and yet there's no true fulfillment in them. If our heart and desire is directed towards stuff or towards money or towards titles, it might satisfy you for a minute or two, but before long you'll want more and then more and then it just continues because it never truly gives you the satisfaction that you need. As long as your desire is pointed to things other than your creator, you'll never have enough. And the truth is, is that you can get all the pleasures of the world, money, comforts, pleasures, fame. You can get all that you think you need, and it's not going to fill you. But at the end of the day, it likely leaves us feeling more empty. And we begin searching in all the wrong places. And what's happened when we live this way is our honing devices, that part of us that should direct us back to our creator, often gets hijacked, and it brings grief, and it brings unfulfillment on us. You see, the biblical word for trying to meet that innermost need, that need that only God can meet in your life, the biblical word for trying to meet that by something else other than God, the biblical word for that is idolatry. Okay? Idolatry. Happy stuff tonight, right? You see, we often think of idols as, the, as these statues sometimes. How many of you, when you think of idols, that's the first place you go, right? You see, in the ancient world, that probably was the case. They would make a golden calf, and people would worship it, and uh, they'd stand before it, and it would be something that was on display. But in the age that we live in, there can be idols all over the place that maybe perhaps we don't even recognize that we've turned them into that. But an idol is anything that we try to use that is not God to play the role of God in our life. Dallas Willard says it like this. He says, what you see when the veil is drawn back on the many spiritualities of our day is that there are so many versions of idolatry. They are nothing but human attempts to use human means to achieve identity and power for the individual. Idolatry is marked by the will to use God for our purposes. So many of our spiritualities today, including many that go under the name of Christian, are really forms of idolatry. And that's a sobering thought to think that we could even take things and twist them so much to get what we truly want that we're missing him who we truly need. Timothy Keller defines it like this. What is an idol? The question's asked. He says it is anything that absorbs your heart and imagination more than God. Anything you seek to give you what only God can give. You see, an idol is anything that becomes a substitute for God in your life. If you turn to a job or a possession or a relationship or even yourself, these things can become idols if they ever become a substitute for God in your life. You, saw, you see, even a good thing can become a bad thing if it becomes a God thing for you when it shouldn't be in your heart. 
And we all seek to find fulfillment and love and meaning. And often we seek this out through the wrong things. And when we do this, when we turn to lesser things that are not God, what we do is we create idols that we seek rather than the source of our life. In Ephesians 5.5, it says this, For be sure of this, no immoral, impure, or greedy person, for that one is, in effect, an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God, for such a person places a higher value on something other than God. Where do we place our value? Who do we look to to find meaning, to find Fulfillment. You see, anytime something is scratching that itch that only God can scratch, that only God can scratch, that's an idol. And you worship it. And many of us think, you know, I'd never worship a created thing. Some of us think, I would never stand in front of something and worship it. But here's the issue. And Paul discusses this in Romans chapter 1 when he says this. He says, they exchanged the truth of, about God for a lie and worshiped and served created things rather than the creator. And many think, well, you know, I'd never worship something in creation. And that's probably because you think of worship as what we just did, singing songs and clapping our hands and giving praise. And that is one of the ways in which we worship. But the truth is, worship is anything that you ascribe ultimate worth to as well. And anything you try to derive ultimate worth from. And when you do that, that is functionally can become your God. And that is what an idol is. It's looking to get what only God can give you through something else. And so sometimes we see our talents and our abilities and all the good things. And, and all these things, a lot of the time, are good in and of themselves. Don't get me wrong. It's not, it's not bad to have good things as long as good things don't have you. But if we give them a higher place of worth than they should be, then they can become idols in our lives. Good things, if not careful, could become God things. And that's where we miss it. That's where John says to us, little children, keep yourselves free of that. Keep yourselves from idols. And even when you get what you're searching for, think about the times when you actually achieve what you're going after, even when you get that money or that job or that title or whatever it is. You know, it tastes good for a minute or two, for a little while, but eventually you get empty again. And eventually you start the whole thing over again. You need to seek after it more. And, 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 and as you do that, you just feed that lack of true fulfillment. And eventually it just makes you sick. It makes you spiritually sick. Because the thought of more and more of this, more and more of that idol, is finally going to satisfy me, runs through our head and it runs through our behavior. And yet the scripture says it's probably the worst thing we could possibly do. You see, your soul wasn't meant to devour idols any more than our stomachs, okay? We're meant to continually eat a bucket of grease, right? In the same way that a ton of grease can hurt my stomach if I eat too much of it, in the same way if we're seeking after idols, if we're seeking after things other than God to find fulfillment that only he can give, it makes us sick. It hurts us. Proverbs chapter 8 says it like this in verse 35 says, when you find me, you find life, real life, to say nothing of God's good pleasure. But if you, if you wrong me, you damage your very soul. 
when you reject me, you're flirting with death. Those are tough and difficult words. You see, if you find God, there's, there's wisdom in that. And you find fulfillment. But if we miss that, then we just bring injury on ourselves, really. Our hearts are pointed in the wrong direction. And we head towards a path away from the source of life. And it leads often the opposite way. And so, therefore, what we seek and especially what we desire has such huge implications for us in how we live. And we learn about this when we look at the nature of sin. Sometimes we ask the question, well, why do I sin? Anyone ever asked this question before? Ever thought to yourself, well, why, why is it that it's easy for me to fall into that sin? Why, why do I do the things that I do that lead me to sin? What, what's behind all that? What usually gets me into that situation? Well, the nature of sin is not always that you accidentally ended up at the wrong place at the wrong time and accidentally fell into something that was wrong, but it's often more than that. It starts truly with what we desire, with what we seek after, with what we want. In James chapter 1, we read these words in verse 13. James chapter 1, when tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone, but each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. And then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it's full grown, gives birth to Death. You see, that word desire is so key in this portion of scripture that I, fe I, I, I fear sometimes we miss this. But when desire is misdirected, when your desires are aimed at the wrong things, when your desire doesn't line up with the desires that God has for you, you find yourself in places and doing things that aren't always good for you and aren't always good for other people. And we can't miss the role that our personal desires play when it comes to sin. Well, what do I mean by that? Well, there are certain things you could never tempt me with, okay? You can come put something along a table here, right? Whether it's a substance or whatever, you could put it in front of me. And I'd, have, I'd have no desire within me to want to try that. Why? Because I don't desire it. There's no part in me that wants to take part in that, but maybe there are other things in my life that you can bring before me that maybe I want and I shouldn't want that. And maybe there's a part of me that, even though God says no, there's a part of me that still desires it. There's a part of me that still wants it. You see, what if I secretly desire some things that I know aren't good for me and aren't good for other people then that desire, as scripture says, entices me. And then when it's full born, it's conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it's full grown, gives birth to death. You see, the whole process of this often starts with me desiring something that 
I shouldn't. I heard a pastor preaching once talking about trying to give up a habit. And he prayed and he prayed and he went before God. And he went to the altar time and time and time again. And he was trying to shed this in his life. He was trying to get rid of it. He didn't want to be this person. And he, he was sincere in his prayers. And he went to people and asked them, help me. I want to lose this habit in my life. I want to give this up. And he prayed and prayed, but nothing ever seemed to work. And, and, and he kept going back to it. And eventually, one time in his prayer time, he said he heard God like he'd never heard him before because he said to God, God, why can't I lose this? Why won't you take this from me? And God said to him, the problem here is you still like it. You still desire it. You still want it. And so desire is so important, especially when it comes to the nature of sin. You see, our prayers need to become maybe more like this. God, create in me a clean heart. God, change my heart. Here's my heart, Lord. Help me to desire the things that you desire. Help me to want what you want. Help me to love what you love. Help me to hate the things that you hate. To detest that which you detest. You see, God, keep me from following my own desires, but help them conform to your perfect will and your desires for me because I can feast on all this stuff trying to find fulfillment. It'll never help me. But when I feast on the Lord, when I go to Jesus, it, I find true fulfillment. So sin doesn't just accidentally fall on us all the time. Idols don't just naturally happen. It often starts with misplaced desire. We can seek and long for and want and desire the wrong things. And as humans, let's just face it, we're probably prone to do that from time to time. And what we think will fulfill us, what we think brings purpose, what we think brings love and meaning ends up probably leaving us empty. And we just feel blah. It'll never be enough because we were created to hunger and desire. Verses. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. You see, when you hear that word righteous, a lot of us think about, you know, moral behavior or being right. But that word righteous is to actually be rightly related to God, yourself, and to other people. It's about seeking after his kingdom. It's about seeking after his way. It's about seeking after him. John Wesley said this. He said, nothing short of God can satisfy your soul. And so when we're filled with righteousness, we can begin to live in right relatedness to God, ourselves, and to other people. And our priority is not just to satisfy our deepest needs and desires with the things of, this, of the kingdoms of the earth— that are here today but fade away, but we hunger and thirst for righteousness, for more of him and for more of his ways. And Jesus claims when we do this, we will be filled. We'll be filled in Christ in such a way that all those things outside of Christ could never do for us. You see, God has invited us into the relationship that changes everything for us. And here's something I've been thinking about lately, is that God's always with us. Amen? He's always with us. He's given his life for us. We talked about that today when we did communion. He's never far from those who love him, and that's good for us today. And we often say things like, 
I just maybe need more of God, or I need more of God. And in some ways, that's true. In some ways, there's truth to that. But maybe also, at the same time, the issue isn't always that I need more of God, but perhaps it's just as true that God actually probably needs more of me. It's not just that I need more of Him, but I need to surrender my life more to Him because He deserves all of me. Perhaps God wants more of me. Perhaps God wants more of you. Perhaps God wants more of us. 1 John chapter 5 and verse 21. Little children, keep yourself from idols. And a good way to see whether or not we flirt with idols is to honestly check what is it that you hunger for? What is it that you thirst for? What is it that you desire? What is it that you're chasing after? What is it that you're looking to bring you fulfillment, but you know you can only find that fulfillment in Jesus? And so let's ask those questions. Don't answer them out loud, but just ponder it. What is it that we desire? Is it more of him offering more of us? Do we find fulfillment, meaning, and love in him? Or are we trying to seek it in all the wrong places? Come to God and have a little chat with him. And for some, it could mean straight out repentance. Maybe you just need to admit, I've been chasing after things I shouldn't. I've been looking for fulfillment in places where I know I can't get it. I've been looking in places God besides you. Maybe that's where it starts. For some, it could be recognizing you've spent too much time and energy just seeking after the wrong things, and you just need to come before him, and you need to say sorry, and you just need to ask him for his help to help you to desire the right things. And for others of us, it could just be a renewed commitment to to be people who hunger and thirst for righteousness, who take inventory and make sure that it is him that we are seeking after. Amen? And so I end with the words that end the book of 1 John. Dear children, little children, keep yourself from idols.